This is episode number 16 of I Have a Podcast Live with Barbara Barna-Abel. Yo, and hello. Welcome to an extremely exciting episode of I Have a Podcast, the place in the podcast universe where I get to have conversations with super cool people about things that matter, like uh, fashion, media, technology, culture, casting, production, content, repeat, <laughs> rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Um, and someone who knows that that rinse and repeat hustle, she's a true pioneer in talent, casting and development. I'm excited to have her here um, on our podcast. I'd like to introduce y'all to Barbara Barna-Abel. Thank you so much for having me, Vinny. Thank you. I'm Thank you so for joining us. Thanks for sliding us into your calendar and your extremely busy calendar, helping some really cool companies do really, like, re like really change it. You're really changing what's happening. You're really changing how talent development is happening. Look at the social. It's not even social media. It's how do you how how do you describe your what you're doing right now or, or the clients that you're working with. Broadly, I really describe it as I help people of impact make an impact. Yeah, that's true. That's and, why I'm stuttering because like I'm thinking of all the places where you're impacting and it's it's well, remarkable yeah. how talent can take such a message to places and you're really helping them go places. Well, I really want to be clear though, being a person of impact is a mindset and anyone can be a person of impact. That's really a choice that you start to see yourself as a leader, that you're, you know, the shepherd, not a lamb. Teachers are people of impact every day, right? Um, good friends are people of impact. Our faith leaders are people of impact. Um, our coaches, you know, not just influencers or famous people or celebrities. So it's really actually how you approach life. And so I, that's what I love to do. That's kind of my calling is to help people sort of tap into their superpowers. When did you, when did you get called? When did I get called? Oh, that's such a good question. Well, you know, in some ways you think like, maybe I got called as a kid because I was a little yeah. bit like Lucy from Peanuts, you know, hanging my sh little shingle. It's where it starts, right? right? And the nuances and those little tiny ways that we can help people. Sure. When did you know that you could make a career out of it? Oh, so funny enough, like I didn't, right? It's like, I mean, you know, from the casting side, there's a reason casting directors are called casting directors, not casting agents. It's actually a creative, it's a craft. It's not uh, a business distinction. And the whole point is because we direct the talent. We actually elicit performances. We see the potential of people and help tap into it and bring it out. And then as part of it, of course, and you and I have spoken about this many times, it also, we're a big part of our job is calming nerves, helping people understand what their potential is, talking people off of ledges, getting people to do sometimes what they don't want to do or don't even understand that they're capable of doing. So all of that, it's like that was sort of baked in. I didn't even know it was a thing until I started having clients come and ask me. And I think it's actually Nickelodeon is the first client I ever had who said, thanks, I'm so excited you found us, these people. Now teach them how to be great on camera. I was like, oh, okay. And I loved it. And then that led to somebody else calling me out of the blue and saying, hey, could you, it was somebody, a producer called me and said, could you work with a chef? 
I was like, sure thing, that would be fun. And then fast forward, it took a few years before I actually tapped into the idea that, hey, this is an income stream. Yeah. <laughs> like this is a, now, there's something really here. Now it's the core of my business and everything else. Um, so I flipped it. I mean, because I still do casting and ton of talent development and I'm consulting and advising. But the the media coaching and, and kind of combining the modalities of traditional, you know, professional coaching with the media training side, which I love, is really what I do. And we had some overlap at fifteen fifteen Broadway, I believe, too. Yeah, for a couple of years, I imagine. I got there in ninety eight. I got there in nineteen ninety. Yes. And I left in two thousand and one. Although technically, I was at sixteen thirty three, but you know, still the family. Yes. Everybody I moved out. Sixteen thirty three. Yeah. That was fun. The MTV2 family up at 1633. Also, that's where the all, all of our claymation productions happened up there. Celebrity Deathmatch Studio was up there at 1633 Broadway. It was like a rite of passage to get to walk from 1515 to 1633. Oh my God. And all the satellites like we had. Yeah, there was overflow all over the place. But the thing I love to point out to people, so when I started in 1990, like the whole company, I was at VH1, the whole company could get in a conference room. And we shared all our resources with MTV. Like we shared the dub room, we shared the tape library. Even to think there was such a thing as a tape library, you know, where they would turn the giant thing and the walls would move and you'd log out all of those beta tapes. Oh, yeah. Down in the Concourse Studio. Exactly. <laughs> I but waited I, in line. <laughs> I pre the Concourse Studio. I remember when they built that. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, what was your job at VH1? I was the head of talent development. So it was created. It didn't exist before I got there. I actually started as an associate producer. And I came for three weeks and stayed for 11 years, which is back then was a very common story there. Yeah. It's like, you're in, you stay. Um, and so the first things I did was actually, I can't remember what I first started on, but one was actually creating a show content for the armed forces during Desert um, Storm which we actually got accommodation. I have it in my office from the army. So I have a plaque thanking me for my contribution. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I just went from there and did a ton of stuff. And then, you know, I looked around though, and there was just so many incredibly talented people that I was working with who were, you know, we were winning cable ACE awards back then. Cause that was a thing, but also Emmys, just amazing creating content that was literally changing the culture. And, but nobody was doing the talent side, like my aspect of talent. And I had come from working as an assistant at a talent agency. I met who knew how to interface with the agencies, how to tap into the non-music talent. So I, I don't, I had no vocabulary around creating opportunities, but I did. I was just like, I'm going to be that person. Because the line of producers in front of me who were amazingly talented have gone on to do extraordinary work was like huge. And I don't even think I was particularly good at that, um, but it taught me a lot. But there was no, I was like, I'll be the talent person. And they created my job, my position. Voiceover talent, um, guest bookings. We did a lot in comedy, uh, celebrity talent, running the talent for all the award shows. So I worked a lot with the music department in that case. But yeah, so, um, you know, when you needed a celebrity host for something, celebrity voiceover. And then we, I don't know, I'm sure you did the same thing on MTV. We dipped our toes into all sorts of genres. So we did animation, scripted TV, dipped our toes into movies. And I got to do all of it. Like they were like, we're going to make a movie. Okay. So you're the head of casting. I was like, 
fantastic. We're going to look into animation. You're the head of casting. And so I was like, this is fantastic because I am forever grateful because I can't imagine any place else, really anywhere where you could be like, we're going to do this and you go get to do it. Because most other places are much more segmented. They focus on repeating success instead of like innovating success and uh, trusting, just gut trusting the right people to do, you know, to take us to new places. Well said. I met so many amazing people that way. It's super cool because I had a very similarly structured uh, experience at MTV as well. I had zero um, imposter syndrome back then. I was like ready to take on the world. And now if you threw something like that at me, I feel like I get it in my head a little bit and I got to shake it out and like just remind myself that everyone takes on new things every single day. You know, I'm, I still struggle as a 44-year-old or 43-year-old, however old I am this year. I don't even know pandemic. Um how uh, you know how that sneaks in, but anyway, there was no room for that at VH1 and MTV back. In, there we were so busy, connected to the project. Um, also, the people we were working with, they they were very clear on their goals. I think too, and that really helps, right? Like when when there's a purpose, like you even talked about being connected and getting a, a, a plaque, you know, from the government. It's like my actually my first MTV gig also was choose or lose, so all wrapped around the the presidential election and, and I I came straight from Fox News working on Hannity and Combs so I used my political experience to ultimately get to MTV similarly as well so I just love how that purpose brings us to MTV VH1 where culture was where the audience looked for cultural cues like they wanted new ideas and different ways to express themselves and be themselves and um, those hosts that you got to cast that I grew up watching and. And, and you're the OG, I'm sure, right? You must be the OG casting director for so many people. The first experience they had in casting. I'm the I, still. I put the O in OG. <laughs> you're like I'm pretty sure I'm yeah. But you actually, I just want to tap into a couple of things that you said because one, there really was this belief that anything was possible, and it was amazingly creative and fun and. Same with you. So many of my dearest friends are people that I worked with all those years ago. I mean, we pulled so many all-nighters and didn't even think twice, of it, like with joy. So there's that. But there's also um, the MTV networks back then really invested in their employees. And so I do want to kind of get a shout out to the people because of the amount of uh, professional development I received that has completely transformed me as a person, but also impacts my career today because th this is where these things dovetail because I was like a human sponge for this. I loved these incredible trainings. I mean, they invested a ton of money in us and that was incredible. And that leads to the idea that anything is possible, this belief that they wanted to be um, a number one destination company before anybody talked about it. I was participating in diversity conversations and big meetings in the mid nineties, I mean, it was just, it was all so baked in. It was not, you know, just think all these years later that people are coming to this now and they were investing in it then, which was really, really important. And so then as a fun sidebar, I don't know if you got to do this with Rob, but it's like my department and I, we would, we would just schedule meetings with interesting people because we could. And there's somebody's like, I was listening to Uptown Funk this morning. I took a meeting with Mark Ronson in 1990-whatever because I could. And um, I still have um, Padma Lakshmi's first cookbook, Easy Exotic, 
because took a meeting with Padma because I could. I mean, just it was like, look, that person's interesting. Let's see if they'll come talk to us. And we did. It was so it was so much fun. I'm also going to add that I definitely think in the casting space, but in any job, I actually think one of the greatest attributes someone can have or should try to develop is curiosity. Oh, absolutely. Would you say that curiosity really kind of helped guide you through your, through your, the beginning parts of your career? Like, are you looking for cues for? Every aspect of my career. It yeah. impacts every day because I'm naturally curious in people and ideas. I love to solve, you know, puzzles and and I think casting is a lot of solving problems and not in a negative sense, like, oh, we have disaster, but it's like, that's a puzzle, right? And you're like, how do these pieces fit together to make the best whole? And we see potential in things. And then that becomes another part of the puzzles. How do we like bring that out? So um, I think curiosity is enormously important. And I add that as one of the most important attributes in anyone who plans to be on camera and which by the way, now is all of us. Yeah. All of us. I'm interested in you. I mean, I mean, it, it suddenly matters to be camera ready. It suddenly matters for everybody. It's no longer on air talent. I mean, that's that's had a big impact in your world. Yeah, just just yeah. being camera ready in general. Okay, I, it's funny, Vinny. I've been saying this since I really, you know, shifted my business in 2012. I've been trying. I've been like, this has been my rallying cry, uh, and then. 2020 brought that point home to everyone, but it's been happening for years regardless, because, you know, if you work for a corporation and you do any kind of all hands meetings and you have satellite offices, you've been streaming those meetings. You've been on camera for years and didn't really appreciate that. If you, I talk to people when anybody now does a keynote or a Ted talk, all those things are filmed probably 99.9% of job interviews now take place obviously through video portals because out of necessity, but even pre-pandemic, north of 90% of job interviews had some kind of video component because it just makes the process much you know, smoother and easier and faster. So even five years ago, I used to joke, I had so many clients who you know were getting far into the process and there was always some senior something who was like in Singapore and needed to talk to you now via Skype. And I'm like, I'm going to be ready. Um, so plus there are gajillion, you know, global staffing portals. There are just, there's so many ways to run camera. Obviously, if you're doing any kind of Instagram live, Facebook live, TikTok, anything for your business. I work with tons of small business owners who have to do B2B video on their websites. Do they realize that? I mean, do, do are people connecting that just as simple as being on Zoom equates to being on camera? So they have the, are they like psychologically connecting being on camera to to performing or it's not even about the performance part. I mean, I feel like now it's like, it's not even about the performance part of on, on camera anymore. It's about that connection piece maybe. And I'm thinking that that connection piece and the performative piece both deal with the same demon, which is the, that voice in your head <laughs> that the prevents you, right? Is that what you call it? Do you yeah, have a word I, for it? Oh yeah. That, I do. It's, there's actually a wonderful book I recommend to everyone called Taming Your Gremlin by Rick Carson. It's a really sweet, gentle book, um, really rooted in Eastern philosophy, but it really is about addressing the, uh, that voice in your head. Our subconscious is our gremlin. And by the way, the gremlin always wins. So you have to 
uh, your subconscious always wins. So you have to be aware of it and have conversations with it. Brene Brown talks about this all the time. That's why, you know, her thing that I love is the notion of giving yourself a permission slip, but you have to, once you get it out of your head and acknowledge it, now you start to be able to work with it. But um, going back to that, I actually often take the word performance out for my clients because that is like, ah, flashpoint. Yeah. Um, Trigger word, trigger word. Oh my God, trigger warning. <laughs> so, and how many people say to me, well, I don't come from an acting background. I'm like, that has nothing to do with it. Although acting skills are great and really helpful always. But what I was going to, but what you said that's the most important thing, Vinny, is about connection. And so it is about how do we show up and we sh- need to show up for others and understanding that, you know, when we speak, it, it has impact and it makes a difference. That we're not just talking to like Yammer, we're talking to, you know, move things, ideas forward or, you know, support our team or drive our business or to connect with other people. Um, so connection is really, really important. And you and I can agree, of course, it's we're, we're all performing all day long, but um, I have to sort of tiptoe into that with a number of people who are not coming from a traditional media background. Yeah. Um, who don't have that that voca- that same vocabulary. Yeah. It's really, that vocabulary has changed tremendously too, just about being right. on, ca- on camera. How do you say that? On camera has changed almost as much as talent has changed in the last five years, you know, and I love that talent has evolved to include non-traditionally defined creative slash artistic talent. And it now includes like my math skills and my, my stack skills and all those other wonderful talents that I had. Um, but, you know, I didn't, I couldn't sing. I couldn't dance. I had the personality to be on stage, but that's about it. So as a casting director, as a media coach, as someone who helps executives on a day-to-day just sort of deal with being on camera, what's something that you you do personally in, in your being prepared to go on camera? Oh, well, it's a few steps. But one, okay. one we start with, um, I just do a little meditation and affirmations and breath work. The one thing anybody can do is the old classic a- Amy Cuddy, incredible TED Talk on the power pose. Right. And one of the reasons I love the power pose is it's actually open uh, body language. And the power pose is you're standing up or you're standing up with your sort of like fists tucked into like your hip almost. Perfect. Right. And, um, and just, you know, posture, great shoulders back. So it's just yeah, shoulders back, feel it in your neck. Depending on your experience with breath work, obviously you can do like seven, four, seven counts, but even just a big, you know, breath in through your nose, hold it for a beat, exhale completely through your mouth. And as you repeat, you're deliberately consciously exhaling any sort of stress and tension. The other really important about breathing just before, and I like little shoulder rolls, a little stretch, but one of the reasons we do that too is first of all, when you breathe and engage in centered breathing, you're bringing yourself to present, right? Because many, we breathe all day long, right? Without thinking about it. We breathe all night long. We sl- we breathe while we sleep. Like we're like we don't even have to you know really do anything about our breathing. So as soon as you breathe with intention, it brings you to present. And so that's one of the most important things before you do anything, whether you're speaking, but certainly on camera, because you have to shift from whatever you're doing to being like fully here. Like I am only here with you, Vinny. Like I don't care about anything else that's going on. The rest of my day doesn't matter because I'm right here with you now. And we all have to be able you know, to do that. So that's where the breath work, it also calms us down. Literally, if you're feeling nervous, it's going to bring your heart rate down. 
One of the other things I, I learned that I love is this idea if you're really, really nervous, is picture yourself having a dial on your shoulder and just mm-hmm. like literally turning the dial down to someplace that's comfortable. Because by the way, also to give everybody, um, you know, to, to feel good about this, it's like a certain amount of anxiety and nervous is normal. And like, that's healthy. Like you don't want to get to your place where, oh my God, now I've had a Xanax and I have like, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm you, all Eckhart told me now. I'm like, hello, and now you want to get to that place. Where, like, it's okay to like it's normal and healthy to feel nervous or to say I feel like a little bit of butterflies. But then you're going to ask yourself, how do I translate this energy? So when we get into the gremlin taming. The whole aspect that is to always stop and ask yourself, how am I feeling? Right. So there's a thing from NLP that just stop, acknowledge, reframe. Um, I think Gabby Bernstein has her version of it, which is like you know making a different choice. But if you just stop ask yourself, how am I doing? And there's no judgment around that, <clears throat> excuse me, because we have a range of emotions all day long. Um, but because if you're going to say, hey, I'm feeling nervous, and it's really important, the distinction between I am nervous and I'm feeling, because feelings are temporary, and I am statements are really bold declarations. So you want to remember just to acknowledge the feeling, but it's not, it doesn't define who you are. Um, you might be, a big one that comes up to me would be like, I'm feeling distracted, because I got all these other things going on, blah, 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 blah. And so you ask yourself how I'm going to reframe. Oh, well, I, I need to be focused. I need to be present. How do I do that? Oh, I'm going to do my breath. I'm going to do a little stretches, maybe a vocal warm up, say an affirmation, listen to music, whatever it is that gets you right here. Yeah, you have I, that intention. Sorry, go ahead. Andrew. No, I love that you answered that question with sort of like um, I wasn't expecting you to answer it with like a physical, like a physical solution. Um, but you're right. It, being creative is it's a it's a muscle. It's tied to your body. So the fact that you're saying like let's touch base with your body and get in the physical and in the present and now it really sort of resonates with me, for sure. Oh, and breath love- work is something that I'm learning. <laughs> well, and you, you, but right, go back to your voice background because you've helped me. And you, I love, you're a really amazing director and I'm super grateful. Oh, I appreciate you. Uh, but you know, to what you just said, I think Jerry Seinfeld's a really great example of noticing that this is all a muscle. I mean, he's been at the top of his game for decades and he performs still as often as he can. I mean, most great comedians do because that's a muscle. Timing is a muscle. It's not the idea that they're learning how to do comedy. It's the idea of staying in shape. Athletes stay in shape. Um, vocalists stay in shape and keep training. And so it's, I'm always trying to remind people that this is, we're not just talking, we're communicating. And so to understand that that's a muscle and your timing and the nuance of that is something that you need to train for practice and prepare for. And so the importance of that. And so, um, you know, I, I love that about Jerry Seinfeld because I think that he's an incredible example of using that muscle and then connecting all that together. It makes sense when you acknowledge the muscle behind creativity and then we also say play to your strengths. And it makes a lot of sense when you refer to it as a muscle to understand how it could physically be stronger. Like for some people who might be like, I don't know what my strengths are. Um, if your hand gives you the ability to draw, that is a beautiful creative strength. I do not have strength. <laughs> that is not where my muscle strength is in my creativity. I couldn't even draw the the rabbit or the turtle to go to art school in like the eighties. Like you know, I would even go the, this stupid commercial. <laughs> like that's all I had to do is draw a rabbit. I didn't even pass. <laughs> I think it was a squirrel back in my day, but I'm oh, right squirrel. There. See, they dumbed it down. They put big ears, so I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but Vinny, I want to actually also acknowledge something that you just said, 
was to actually think about this when it, notion about muscles. So one thing is when we learn how to do something, we have a basic understanding. So I also want to introduce the notion for everyone of scale. Like when you get to a place, because it's always about mastery and lifelong learning, right? And then we're constantly, so it gets incremental. So you may get to the place where you're really amazing at something. So you're looking, it's like, what is it if I'm at like an eight? What do I, what's a nuance to get to like an 8.25 and the constantly shifting and to remind people some of the most accomplished, talented, amazing, impactful people I've had the privilege to work with prepare the hardest. And they are constantly looking at those nuances. And, you know, if you follow sports, I think that's a great way to see, visually see the metaphor that, you know, um, Tom Brady, whether you're a fan or not, certainly the goat. He's not, he did not sit back and think I'm the goat and I'm just going to, you know, walk to Tampa, the, you know, from my house and, and go win a Super Bowl at 43. He's, he's, it's all about like nuance, tweak. What does this moment need? How, what, how am I feeling? What's the best thing I can do today? Serena, who I worship, it's the you know, same way. I'm Naomi Osaka. I'm thinking like, what's the little thing? How do I adjust for clay versus, you know, grass versus whatever versus the weather? It's hot, it's humid, it's everything. You know, what's my muscle doing? So, um, oh, you know what? And I'd love to also bring up the notion, did you, if you saw Bohemian Rhapsody, one of my favorite things about the opening of that is you see... Rami Malek as, you know, Freddie Mercury jumping up and down, preparing to go on stage for one of the greatest That's performances right. in the history of rock music. Um, he just didn't walk out there and go, oh, hey, hi, here, you know what I mean? You never stop working on it. It's the, is my whole point. Yeah, you never stop working on it. Like, it feels like we're talking about muscles and strength and you, you brought up Tom Brady and it's like, how do you, like some amazing sports stamina pieces like... The endurance needed to stay. The tenacity needed to stay. Okay, in. I love you for bringing this up. It's actually my pinned tweet to talk about. So one, there's the energy stamina, or just to be able, like, how many hours. So uh, I do try to work with people to start to understand, even as an exercise, when you're first starting to create content or learning to communicate on camera, and you may be doing these, you know, short videos, or you've done ten minutes. I remember media coaching someone for HLN years ago and the audition is 20 minutes of nonstop reading copy. That may not seem like a lot to you. That's a lot. You and I know that's a lot. So you want to work yourself up to 20 minutes because you don't get to flag in those 20 minutes. You don't get, to, there's no break. That is, I have this much energy. I'm starting out here and I'm ending strong 20 minutes later. So now people have a sense of stamina to how, you know, how am I going to, work my way up to that. So that's actually a tangible thing to work on yeah. and you can do that in increments. And it also starts to teach you, which we know too, is the notion of your own body clock. So you can feel what 30 seconds feels like 45 seconds, 90 seconds. Oh, I know what a five minute piece needs to stay, feel like, which is also an important thing for anyone who wants to go do guest segments, you know, on Wendy Williams or the today show, you need to understand what five minutes feels like versus three minutes and be able to adapt like that. When they say we're shortening your segment because of um, breaking news. Um, so there's that component. I have often also said, uh, I love and adore Elizabeth Wagmeister, who I had the pleasure of working with at Page Six TV. And she's um, you know, an amazing uh, contributor at Variety. And I used to watch her blown away that she would fly back to Los Angeles to do an award show, red eye on Sunday night back to New York and you know, not go home, come straight from the airport to Page Six to actually report on what was happening. And so now I had a sense of real stamina. And this same example shows up for anybody who does political coverage. 
So I'm like, if you, so for every person we've ever known who said, I want to work at E, I want to work on this. I want to be that person. I'm like, okay, go away somewhere fabulous for like a week or a weekend, party your heart out, fly home on a red eye, get off the plane, get, you know, do your hair and makeup and get dressed in the restroom at the airport and go straight to the office and crush your day. If by the end of the day, you're feeling amazing and I love it, you can work in this industry. You have what it takes to get to the top because that's kind of what it takes. Um, And then the other component you brought up is the emotional bandwidth. And that is something that we really look at that I think it's often overlooked when um, it's natural to be very skills focused. Like I can do, I can read a teleprompter. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I should be this person. And, um, and I got to tell you, when you get to the, you know, final callbacks or you're meeting the senior executives or the deciders, we're looking at your emotional bandwidth. And that's a different kinds of stamina. Yeah. What does that mean? What that means is you have the stamina and the emotional muscle to handle the pressure of what these jobs entail, whatever that is. And what are the, what are you looking as a, as an executive, as a casting director, as a, as a producer, what are the nuances or signals that you're looking for to help inform that decision? Mm, Excellent question. One, we're actually looking at the stamina through the callback process. Mm-hmm. which can be grueling and rigorous, especially the more money that's involved, the more high profile a project is involved, the more rigorous this process is going to be and the longer it's going to take. Um, this comes up all the time. If, if you're working on a travel show and you're out somewhere fabulous, okay, everything goes wrong all the time. So we're looking like how well do you adapt because whatever we planned isn't working. We have breaking news. We didn't get a permit, any number of things. How do you adapt? Great. All of us can be preparing now all the time instead of waiting, which we all do for that adrenaline rush when you get the call. And it's like, can you know, because right? Can you do this tomorrow? Yeah, right. So, what are what are some what are some tips that you used to give only on air talent that you currently now now applies to just about anybody who needs to be in front of a camera? One, read out loud. Practice reading out loud. Vinny, I'm like, you have to have a range. So I encourage people to go to full Oprah. I like it. Right? And you just want a car. And because if you can do that in the privacy of your own home or my office, then you, you because the whole point is your skill set is elastic and you want to build that right so you can stretch it and bring it back here because you want to be in charge of it. And so you want to tap into all the, build these muscles you didn't even know you had. So I think reading out loud is really important. Studying your face in the mirror when you're brushing your teeth, understanding this is a big part of your toolkit. Like, you know. What does what what, what my resting Vinny face look like? <laughs> I, card caring resting bitch face. So I have to work on that all the time. Um, the other thing is just simply to record yourself. I mean, now we do it all the time because we have, we're sending video to people. We're doing our Marco Polos. We're creating Instagram lives. But on a really practical note, like on a Zoom call, you and on any, a number of platforms, but Zoom's really easy. You can just go in and click new meeting and record yourself. So you start to see where your sight lines are, you understand what the optics are, you can start to read back your energy. Because again, the science of this is, Vinny, it's like when we see each other in person, which God knows when that's gonna be. I can't wait. Wait. Um, But that's three-dimensional communication. So it's really important for, we always remember that our brains get so many signals that help us understand and grasp the meaning, right? There's so many things going on. So what we're doing right now is two-dimensional. 
So part of that is lost. Our brains don't have as much information to work with. So we as communicators have to compensate for that by creating you know, just whatever degree, again, leveling, like how much more, whether that's volume, voice, choosing where our energy is, what is, what is our body language, what are our faces do, how much more animated should we be? What are our inflection points to create interest, but also to really effectively communicate? I love that. You've been interviewing hundreds, if not thousands of people on camera, off camera, off and on camera forever. How does all of this lead to a podcast for you? Because you know what? It's full circle because I started in college radio, which I loved, 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 loved. Does your college, the college radio version of you, but she have told you you're going to have a podcast? Wow. Wait, ask that again. I'm trying to process your question. <laughs> I'm like the the college that 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 college disc jockey version of yourself. What what advice would she tell you? What what advice would she tell you on your podcast? Ooh. Well, one, she would tell me to think about it in advance because I used to really think in advance about what I was going to play, and we had records because it was vinyl that we had records that were you know there that had been sent to the radio station. But I used to lug you know like in my little. L.L. Bean boat bag. Like I was like schlepping my records to the station. And I would think about like, what's the tone? What's the, um, what's the vibe? Cool. Somebody, I remember, <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing to add, but like, I think I was like heartbroken about a boy or something. So I remember I was really bummed out one night and all I did was play Joy Division, like just put the needle down and let it play. And um, people were like, what a great show tonight. <laughs> <laughs> That's just um, you being your authentic self. I love that. Right. You just tapped in. You were just expressing yourself in. that I, way. It was fun because back in the day, I had fans, I got to tell you. And there were like, you know, this was in the Inland Empire, Southern California. So yeah, I, they invited me to their prom. I had a whole you had a thing. But and the only reason I bring that up is um, it's really sweet, fun memory. But it also gets to the point of understanding who you're showing up for. Like I had a sense of who my audience was and, and that I was bringing joy to them the same way they brought joy to me. So I cared about that. So you show up with integrity. I'm excited for your podcast. I think it's a great way for you to get to scale some of the, of the conversations I know you want to be having with well, some know, cool people. Thank you for saying that. And I couldn't be doing it without you. So, and you know how much I love and adore you, Vinny Potestivo. But the other thing I want to acknowledge around that is because, uh, because this comes up for so many people I talked to and myself included was the idea of, of, um, you know, well, on a woo-woo level, sort of stepping into your light, but it's also actually breaking through your own fears and hesitations. It's like, I'm a behind the scenes person or however we view ourselves and understanding the notion of why you, any of us want to or need to scale. It is to reach more people. It is the idea of having a bigger impact. And, and you know, I've had to talk myself through and coach myself through uh, why I'm doing this for that reason. Because it's like, you know. I'm a, I'm a card-carrying introvert. I am actually naturally shy, which most people wouldn't believe because I had to – I wasn't raised to be shy. I was sort of like, you're not allowed to be shy. Be outgoing. Okay. Um, but, yeah. So, anyway. So, yes. It's to be like, hey, I like – notice me because I'd rather notice you. And I've spent my career, right, building other people's careers. So, it's a I, – I know how to do it, but it's a really mind-bending when you turn it around on yourself. As I think you know. It's a lot of work. I mean. <laughs> it's a lot of work, though. It's like, 
But I, I, I love you have to go back to some of the physical components to it too, and you have to remember that um, as much work as it is, it's, it's exercise. So like committing to creating on if you want to be on TikTok, committing fifteen minutes a day to TikTok is literally the same thing as saying commit to fifteen minutes of cardio at the gym. You have to build the muscle memory. You find these ways to start making and creating easier, and I, I like being able to help people fi- find just easier ways to just tap into their strengths and you've got, you've got a lot of them. So I'm excited to get them on tape and get them out there. But I love that you just said that too, because I asked that that's a perfect metaphor that going to the gym, I often open uh, my intro classes, especially back in the day, I'd ask, you know, for a show of hands, how many people of you, you know, how many of you guys work out, you know, did everybody raise their hand and like, you know, I'm doing CrossFit six days a week and I'm like, well, that's awesome. It shows. And then I'd ask how many days a week are you practicing your on camera crickets? What do you mean? Yeah. And it's the same point, right? Yeah. I got a little bit in my head about doing the podcast and then I realized, wait a second, I've literally been interviewing people for like 20 years. So Vin, come on, give you, if you can give yourself one thing, just give them, <laughs> just, just say that you're a good active listener and you can figure it out while you're in the conversation. You can be present and hang out. That's my favorite part is this part. I almost feel guilty that I have to air this. I want to thank everyone for listening to this and encourage them to reach out to you. What's the best way that people can reach out to you? Shoot me an email at bba at ableintermedia.com. And when in doubt, my contact information is all over the internet, but you can go to my website, which is ableintermedia.com. Barbara, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for this. Oh, j'adore you, Vinny. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to I Have a Podcast. For more information about today's episode, visit us at IHaveAPodcast.com. If you like what you've heard, follow us or subscribe to be notified of our next episode. And we appreciate any kind reviews.